0: Well I was thinking about Bert there and this always comes to mind quite a lot because uh, Bert had a great way of putting something once in a meeting, I don't remember if it was a it might have been through in the church, it might have been on Zoom, but anyway he was speaking about the church, the the ecclesia or the ecclesia however you pronounce it however you pronounce your Greek words and he was saying that The Ecclesia, and it really struck me, ought to function as a Senate, okay? And that we are senators, okay? Now, I know we're kings and priests, but what Bert was saying was, in a Senate, just like a parliament, in effect, is that everybody has a say. Does that make sense? It's not just somebody stands up and pronounces and decrees things and the rest all sit there. And don't have an input. And you know my heart's longing is that we would do these meetings like that and indeed that we would do every meeting like that, every church meeting that we have, because um, the whole system of having someone or people at the front and the rest being the audience, that's foreign to the New Testament idea of church. Now it's not saying we don't have leaders, it's not saying we don't have preachers, it's not saying that we don't have people uh, sharing the word. But, and, and what Bert was speaking about when he was talking about Senate is that we all rule and reign in Christ here on earth so that what each of us decrees, whether it be in prayer or whether it be something we share or a prophetic word, when we open our mouths in church or in ecclesia, then that becomes a kingly decree, a, a, a senator speaking. I like that idea. I, I, I like that Bert brought that out the Senate because it means that you know, the senators are equal. Okay? And we, we need to get rid of this whole idea of a clergy, a laity, the divide um, you know, or that we have a minister and we have lay people. There are no lay people in God's ecclesia. That makes sense? We are all called to be kings and priests, not just uh, those in full time ministry. So we've been looking at, and I think we might conclude this today. If I don't ramble on, we might just manage. Um, kings shall come to you. This is part four, because it says in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3, the nations shall come to your light. Remember it says, arise, shine, your light's come, the glory has risen upon you. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It says, the nations shall come to your light. The nations will come to that glory rising. And kings to the brightness of your rising. And it says later on in the chapter that they'll come and, and, and they'll bring their kings. You see, why would we want kings to come? Well, the reason we would want kings to come it's very simple because they're coming for something. You're not rolling up out there today, sadly. Well yet, yeah, still early doors. But why would they come? Why would they come? And it's not just they'll come to the gathering or they'll come to church meetings. They'll come to us. You may go home and you may have a message on your answer phone if you got an old-fashioned answer phone or you get an email or a text. Can you come through to Butte House ASAP? The First Minister wants to speak to you. Now, I see some people smiling as if, yeah, yeah, right. But folks, that's the paradigm that we're aiming for. Because, why? Why? Because the Bible says so. And all we need to do is claim it. I remember years ago, and I'll tell you, you, know, you you'll understand how it was a number of years ago. I was listening to a message from Robert Sleardon. And he was talking about uh, my first presidential visit. Went to some president somewhere thick in Africa or something. Some other land. But, but he was talking about how God calls us to national rulers. And he says to everybody listening to the tape or to his message, uh, everybody should be believing for every Christian. You should all be believing for this. So I thought, yeah, well, I'll have some of that. Not long after, I'm standing in Houston Airport, waiting for a flight back home to Scotland. And I turned round to my right, and I see standing there right next to me, without any aides, without any bodyguards, without anybody. Standing, I think, I believe, in a pair of shorts, the First Minister. Very casually dressed, just standing there. The First Minister of Scotland. Not our dearly beloved Nicola. It was Henry MacLeish at the time. That shows you how long ago it was. I know you might think, well, you must have been about 12 back then. Bill. But no, I was I was full grown. Henry MacLeish. And I remember, I knew right away, this is the Lord, because it wasn't that I think it was a matter of days. I had been listening, before I went out to America, I'd been listening to Robert Slayer. And uh, so I I, I said, Lord, actually, I think I I, I ran to the loo. And I said, Lord, what do you want? Do you want? What's the message? What's the message you've got to give me for this man? And and the Lord right away said to me, none at this state. He says, I just wanted to show you, I can put you before anybody. Okay, that's what he said. I just wanted to show you that the message you heard, you know, it's real. I can put you before presidents, kings, leaders, all that. So that was a big relief in a way, because then when I got up to Henry McLeish in the middle of Houston Airport and go, thus saith the Lord. Amen maybe if I'd done it with a Texican accent I'd have maybe got away with it but oh Henry how you doing the Lord would say to thee Uh, but you understand that that ought to be our domain our paradigm that's something we ought to be thinking about functioning in why because we're Christians and why because we're kings and priests Okay, we're, we're of the Melchizedek order. And when you understand that, see, everything is identity. Identity is destiny. So that when you understand who God has called you to be, you then begin to walk in that. It's like, you know, Prince William didn't get up this morning and go, Saturday morning. me go to the barras today. Amen. Why? Because he's, he's, a, he's a prince of the realm. Okay, now you understand what I'm what I'm talking about here is that for kings and royalty and aristocracy, they don't do what the plebs do. Okay? And a lot of that could be snobbery, a lot of that can be, you know. And but but what I'm trying to say to you is if you're a king and a priest unto God, you're not going to the pub tonight and getting mortalized. Amen? You're not uh, going on a pub crawl, you're not you're not doing things that uh, sinners do. Amen. You know they, they call Jesus the friend of sinners, and we call him that. But what we fail to understand is when they called him that, they they weren't saying oh, he's a friend of sinners. What a friend! They were insulting him. They were saying this guy hangs out with sinners and to be the friend of sinners in their ideology in that Jewish pharisaical mindset meant that you are a hypocrite turning up preaching the, God, the, the word of God but hanging out with sinners. Okay the friend of sinners what they meant by that was he's a companion of sinners and he goes with them in their sinning. That's what, that's what they meant. But a more accurate phrase for us would be that Jesus is the friend to sinners. Because he was a friend to you and me when we weren't a friend to him. Okay? But, but, but Jesus, of course, he, he didn't hang out with sinners the way we, you know, I know we like to put that sort of hippie slant on it. But he was going with a message. And the message was not just what he said, but who he was. Because what he was saying to them was, you can be like me. Amen. He's still saying that to you and I today. And Jesus isn't uh, living a common. See, I think again it was Bert. Praise God for Bert. Amen. What a man. It was Bert that said the opposite of holy is common. We're not commoners. Spiritually speaking. Okay. It's not about being, I'm a king and a priest. It's not about that arrogant thing. It's about saying, I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. So therefore, your ambassadors don't hang out with with folks in the country they go to. Why? Because they're representing something. They're representing the country they came from. And that's why you get embassies. They try to make the embassies as much like the home country as possible because they don't want people, especially some countries, they come over here, oh yeah, it's better over here than my country. They don't want folks defecting. They don't want folks saying, listen, why don't I just become British or Scottish? Because look where I came from. They want people proud of where they came from. They want people immersed in the culture. And they'll only consider ambassadors, people who are immersed in the culture, proud of it, love it, and want to represent it. And Jesus is no different. So if we're going to walk through the world and appease and please men and sinners, oh, we want you know oh, that seeker sensitive guff. You know, the more we can be like the world, the more they'll accept us. That's folks to that. We need to represent where we came from. Amen. And I'm not talking about Jesus walking by the shores of Galilee, I'm talking about Jesus seated on the throne. With that mind, let's just turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Kings will come to you. Why? Because they recognize something in you that they need. They recognize something in you. Let, let, Let me just be blunt. Kings are drawn to greatness. Kings are drawn to greatness. Kings are drawn to excellence. Okay. Kings are not going to come to your school sports day. But well, they will go to Wimbledon. They will go to the cup final. They will go to uh, you know sporting events where champions and people of excellence are competing. Why? Because kings reward excellence and greatness. And that's what they're drawn to. Okay, and I'm not just talking about kings as in our royal family. I'm talking about people at a certain level, and that includes business and includes other areas, because kings are drawn to other kings. Amen. That's why they like to hang. That's why they like to hang out with David Beckham and, and, and uh, you know Roger Federer and all these people. Why? do they, Because they recognise that they're kings in their realm. Amen. And kings want to be seen with other kings. So when it says kings will come at the brightness of thy rising, that means the brightness of your rising has something in it that they go, Oh, I want some of that. Amen. And you know, kings are selfish. And they're always looking to uh, uh, protect what they have, improve and enhance what they have. So they're going to see you as something that's going to help them be better at what they do and in their function as kings. That's why they'll come. And let me just say this to you, God has no problem with that. Because that's how it's meant to be. That's why he says, I'm going to put glory in you. It's going to be light. What they see in you, they're going to be coming. The nations will come and they'll bring their kings with them. The kings of what's going on over there? And let me just say this to you, everything that planet Earth needs right now, and it needs a whole bunch, is in you right now. And what we need is not just the in you, way down deep in your spirit, man, we need it on you, on display. Because when it's on you and on display, what does it say? The glory shall be seen upon you. Now folks in darkness can't see that natural man can't see the things of God so something has to happen that that glory gets so strong so thick so powerful that they, they can't ignore it this is an encouraging message amen so loud amen should be much, you know Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 whats this it says uh, hath raised us up together well, let's just read from verse 5. Even we were dead in sins has quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. That word grace can be translated favor. Who wants to walk in abundance of favor? Amen. Who wants to be engulfed with the favor of God? I don't want we drops. I don't want wee, wee drips of favor. I want engulfed. Amen. I want to be, and you ever see that film The Perfect Storm? And the guy at the end, Mark, what's his name? Wahlberg. (laughs) And he's in the sea and it's massive and the the camera pans out and he's in the sea and all these waves are about to come on him. That's what I want to be with the favour of God. So engulfed. Where's Bill? I don't know. All I see is glory and favour. Amen. Because The Bible calls that abundance of grace, abundance of favour. By favour, by grace, by God's favour, you are saved. Watch this. And hath raised us up together. Not just one or two, not just, I'm believing that for me, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I want to walk in the favour of God, uh, and I don't care about anyone else. It's not that, it's together. In other words, with others, with my brothers and sisters. It's the body of Christ. It's not just lone ranger Christian. I don't like that idea, you know, of I'm a lone ranger Christian. I don't need church. I don't need people. I don't need other Christians. But you don't need them. But you're not going to do much without them. Just like you don't play football on your own. Let me just say this. If all you do is kick a ball against the wall, you ain't going to get signed for Glasgow Rangers. Amen? Because football is a team sport. And so's been a Christian. So has raised us up together. You know, thank God it's not just me and Jesus. You got a lot of people, oh Jesus and me. Dun, 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 dun. Don't remember the words. <laughs> just <as well. laughs> yeah, just as well. It's not just Jesus and me, it's it's we. Amen. It's the body. It's, it's the family of God. Raised us up together and made us sit together. Sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Seated. Brothers and sisters, seated. Okay? There's only one group that are seated. Okay? There's only one group of being, if you like that stay seated when other people are walking, standing, running about, kings. You go into a throne room, the king's not doing this. (sighs) What are we going to do? Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, I don't know what we're going to do next. Oh my goodness me. No, kings are seated. And you know, kings are trained that even when great crisis is all around them, and, 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 all, and there's a tumult. Kings are trained. Sit and look like a king. Sit and be a king. Stay seated when everybody else is running about. Like chickens with no heads. Why? Because somebody needs to know that there's somebody in that room that's a king. That somebody has authority. People with authority don't rush about. People with authority stay seated. He didn't say he made a stand. He didn't say that he made us bow down before him. We do that voluntarily, don't we? But you know, we're just saying that stand by night in the house of the Lord. Well, we stand voluntarily, but we've not been made to stand. We are seated. He made us sit together. And what I wanted, if, if nothing else from these series of meetings, you know, kings will come to you but the reason is because you're a king. And they're only going to come to you when you realize and understand and start walking in the reality of being a king. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, in, in human terms, that you act like what we call in Scotland, a bohid. Amen? It's not a call to be, to be a bohid. And if you don't understand bohid, find somebody who will explain it to you. It means arrogant, conceited, a big head. We're not called to be that. This is not a human thing. We're called to be kings in the kingdom. And we have people that we we trample on and they're called demons. Amen? You know, you're not a king unless you're dominating somebody. We're not called to dominate each other. We're called to dominate the devil in his kingdom. Amen? We're also called... To dominate on planet earth but not by you know we're not we're not being a militia here we're not handing out guns we're not starting a revolution and we're going to march on uh, 10 downing street with our guns and see how far you get amen and if we were driving down to london with our guns by the time we got there we probably have shot each other amen because that's the church isn't it we're good at fighting each other we're good at shooting each other We call it friendly fire, but nothing friendly when when somebody your own army shoots you in the back. That's not friendly. But he's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. And what that means is where he is seated on his throne at the right hand of his father, we are with him, we are seated with him. Uh, it's not just a big long bench that <laughs> millions of us are seated on. We have our own thrones. And the reason for that is because he doesn't want us to pray begging prayers. Here on earth. Yeah, I hear a lot of prayer for revival. And it's all bawling and squalling. And, oh Lord, we need you, we beseech you. Here on earth, send Revival. The most effective prayers are not prayed on earth to heaven. They're prayed from heaven to earth, if you like. They're prayed, you see, a lot of our praying is shouting, isn't it? But if you're you're sitting next to someone, you don't need to shout. Amen? I don't need to shout at any of you because we're, we're in close proximity. And if you're seated next to Jesus, just lean over. And you now believe Jesus is seated in heaven, leaning over to us and going, Make a decree. Decree your heart's desire. What do you want for Britain? What do you want for Glasgow? What do you want for your street? What do you want for your family? What do you want for this community? We prayed for this community earlier on. It was Alan that prayed. You know, we could pray, oh, shouting the ball, and bawling, Lord. Or we could just say, Lord. We, and, and I believe the Lord's going to say this this you, you don't need to ask me, just decree that what you want yeah. why? because you need to learn that kings make decrees yeah. you know I believe there's probably a time in Prince William's life and, and prince, princes of the realm where they're asking for things and at some stage someone is going to train them and say you're a prince, you don't ask you decree Amen. and it's not an arrogance because we expect decrees from people in authority. So we're seated with him. So let's get to the good stuff like I said. First Kings chapter 10. We want to go here for a while and I keep getting pulled away. But I want to show you this. We've been looking at Solomon's life as an example of what we are supposed to walk in. David was a type of King Jesus. Amen. He had bloody hands. He fought the enemy. Amen? And uh, David had a lot of blood in his hands because he was a warrior king. And uh, nations and tribes and peoples would rise up against him, even his own family. Amen? Think about that. David's worst pain, I believe, in his whole life, didn't come from all the apes that were attacking him. It came when his own son rose up against him. Imagine the, the pain, and that, that son died. You know, think about it. Our worst wounds come from those of our brothers and sisters sometimes, don't they? Yes. In the Lord. Yes. Not from folks out there shouting, "yabam" and all this. you, you freak. <laughs> you know, you religious freak. That just goes off your back. But it's from a brother or sister. Amen? Anyway, we're not going to this a whole different sermon. But Solomon didn't have what David had. He inherited, because David was the conqueror. And Solomon was the more than the conqueror, because he just inherited. And Solomon's reign was the very apex, the, the, the pinnacle of old covenant blessing and glory so we've looked a lot at this but first Kings chapter 10 when the queen of sheba heard of the fame of solomon we looked a lot about this concerning the name of the lord you know what did sheba the queen of sheba hear she heard about the name of the lord i like that because it could have read oh she heard how great solomon was what a guy what a king and i'm sure she did but notice that she heard concerning the name of the Lord. You and I ought not seek greatness for ourselves. Oh, she's a wonderful woman. Oh, she's a, he's a great guy. Whatever greatness is in us, is him in us. Concerning the name of the Lord. Amen. And then, we looked at this before, so let's... Uh, Let's start from verse 10. She gave the king 120 talents of gold, which was, I believe, in modern day terms, at least hundreds of millions of pounds. Imagine you were called to visit Queen Elizabeth and you took down all that money and said, That's for you, just just tribute. Just want to bless you, just want to honour who you are. Amen. But that's what this woman was doing to Solomon. And he didn't need it, he wasn't poor. He wasn't. He didn't have a telephone going. If you don't give today, this ministry is going to go off the air. He wasn't doing stuff like that. He was. He was. The Bible says Solomon made gold and silver as common as stones. Now I'm sure I read this once, I, I, and I don't know where, but I'm, I'm sure because I used to preach this, and I don't. I don't know the source, but it was like they had bings of silver in the streets. And they would just say, help yourselves. Imagine having a big bang of silver out there. Help yourself. Amen? But it says he made them as common as stones so that, you know. That meant anybody help themselves. That wasn't a, oh well, you better watch because prices are going up. Lure pack's going up to seven twenty-five. You better watch what you're doing. Petrol's going up to £2 a, a litre. Oh my goodness me, what are we going to do? Oh, my, it was just like. There's plenty, there's plenty there. Just help yourself. You see, when you're blessed, like Solomon was blessed, because Solomon was a king, wasn't he? When you're blessed at that level, everybody, everybody else gets lifted up around you. You don't have enough? That's okay. Just come in. There's plenty here. See, you know just I hate? This is, just a, per- this is a, a personal rant. I hate people who don't like food banks? Eh, Terrible that we've got to have food banks. How? How's it terrible? What it means, nobody needs staff. Let me ask you a question. What about if there were no food banks? Food banks are people saying, I've got more than I need. You know these bins in supermarkets. You know, you put a a tin of beans in or put something in for, for... That means nobody needs starve. Amen. And what it means is those with more than enough look after those with not enough. Which was what the early church did. Why? Because they were walking in this. They were walking in that dimension that Solomon walked in where he said, you don't need to have any poor in this kingdom. There's plenty of gold and silver. There's plenty for everyone. You know, Every man can have his own fig tree. Every man can... Every man can have provision. Now that's what King Jesus does for us. So why can't we do it for other people? We're supposed to. There shall be no poor among you. It says in Deuteronomy. Right? And, and, and Jesus, you, someone will say, yeah, but Jesus says you'll always have the poor among you. You know why? Because there are too many knuckleheads won't understand that God wants to lift us out of poverty, and when he lifts us out of poverty, we lift other people out of poverty, so that there be no there be no poor among you. Uh, precious stones, she gave abundance of spices. Uh, Watch this, and the navy also of Hiram, who was the, the, the neighbouring king, that brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir great plenty of almond trees, precious stones, and and the king made of the alma trees pillars for the house of the Lord. He didn't take it for his own personal use. He put it into the house of the Lord. Amen? You know, when you put something into the house of the Lord, you are guaranteed blessing back from God. When we lift an offering on a Sunday morning, sometimes I forget to do it, but I don't, in the service, what I say is, I pray. Let the seeds be multiplied back to the source. Why? So that if you put in whatever it is, to say X amount, you'll get Y amount back, which is X multiplied. So that you can put in more next time. Because it's a cycle. Amen. You just keep growing, ever increasing. You know, somebody just actually asked me before the service here today, or the meeting, I don't like really calling it a service asked me about the spiritual meaning of a cube. And it was quite easy because a cube means multiplication. That's what it means. And it means increase because the New Jerusalem's a cube. Now we're not ready yet to have the cube. Although it is an eternity. There's a mystery for some. It's already an eternity. But we're being added to, aren't we? We're being added to You ever see that game Tetris? Where you keep building up, building up, building up the blocks. We're being built into that city that's made without hands. That's the new Jerusalem come down from heaven and it's a perfect cube. It's a perfect cube. So what it means is multiplication, it means increase and it means manifestation. Anyway, that's I was so thrilled by that question because I like preaching on the cube. Anyway, look what it says here. Uh, Watch this. King Solomon gave unto the Queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked. This is verse 13. Beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty, so she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. It doesn't say this. But I'm willing to... Well, uh, speculate. She gave him 120 talents of gold. Take this the right way because we're not gambling. I bet you he gave her more back. Why? Because he's the king. He is the king of kings. Solomon's empire was the uh, superpower of his day. And you know, when you give our king of your money, he says, I'll give you back. Good measure, pressed and shaken together. <coughs> I'll multiply what you you give me. You know the Bible says of Isaac. Isaac uh, stayed in the land, and it was a land of famine. And it says Isaac stayed in the land, and that year the Lord gave him a hundredfold what he had sown. Who'd like to get a hundredfold of what you what you've you've sown? Amen. And you know what it says? It says, so you got a hundredfold. So the Lord began to bless Isaac. He began to prosper. That's what it says. Wait a minute. You're not actually prospering in God's eyes till you've had a hundredfold. Amen. Now never mind, oh, should preachers have jets? You can have several jets. Why? Because jets will be as common as stones. I'm only kidding, we don't all need jets. I'm just saying, do you understand? I'm just saying that the things that, oh, that's, to, oh, oh, my goodness me, that could have been sold and given to the poor. Jesus says, let her alone. She's burst this for me. This extravagance, this waste, this lavish, stupid, ridiculous use of resources to pour on Jesus' feet. That's, that's acceptable. Amen. Yeah. Why? Because if you don't have a poverty spirit, you're not going to worry about the resources that are used for the glory of Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to have any other sermons to wrap this up. Anyway, so it says here, the way of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> now uh, we, can, we can go off into 666 if we want. And, and I'll, I'll just say this to you. Simple. Because so- Solomon had his head turned. But it wasn't really by wealth. Because, you know, he was just the wealth. He had his head turned by women. Amen, bro? It's, a, it's, it's always a woman to blame. You know that. Don't you? I'm, just, I'm just preaching the truth now. No, let me just say this. Solomon disobeyed God. That's what went wrong. Okay? And it wasn't women. It was the wrong women. And it was way too many of them. Any man knows one woman is enough to handle. But taking on all the, you know, concubines, wives, anyway. So praise the Lord. We'll just quickly move over that one. So, the, moreover, the, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold, and it talks about his throne and its lines. I just want to get to this bit here, okay? Uh, let's let's just read through this now. All Verse 21. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. So let me just say this. Silver service was not good enough for Solomon. And you know every so often we ought to upgrade stuff. Not because, you know, we're keeping up with the Joneses. But because we're reminding ourselves that we're royalty. Amen. Who'd like to eat off gold knives and forks? Amen. Amen. I'm not saying getting by them, Put yourself into debt. Then it says here, watch this. The king had at sea a navy of Tharsis. Which the Greek rendering is Tharsis. We're in Tharsis Street. Amen. So, praise God, I'm looking for a navy out there. Where's my navy? Amen. That's what Tharsis means. It literally means Tharsis. With the navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tharsis, bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. And what I would say is, we don't need the apes and the peacocks, but we sure do need the gold, the silver and the ivory. Amen. The apes and the peacocks, well, we've had a few of them come to our meetings, let me tell you. So... (laughs) So King Solomon exceeded all, watch this, this is what I'm trying to say. This is where we're going. This is the good part. King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. King Solomon exceeded the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And that, brothers and sisters, is why the kings of the earth came to him. Because he had more than them, more riches than them and he had the wisdom, and what they, what they came to see was, what's this guy got that I haven't got, and can I get some of it? And that's why they'll come through those doors. Government officials, kings, rulers, business owners, chairman of big international companies, Not just these doors, I'm talking about the doors of the church, the doors of the body of Christ. They'll come to the people of God who decide to walk in this Isaiah 60 generation glory and paradigm. They'll come because we have things that they don't have. They they don't have access to and they don't know how we got them. And it isn't just money, but money will be included. Wealth and resources, it'll all be part of it. But they'll come for our... See, they didn't really come because Solomon was richer than them, they come for the reason why Solomon was richer than them. And why Solomon had all this glory and power and majesty and and excellence in his kingdom and why gold and silver were as common as stones. They came for that reason. They came to find out, what's this guy up to? Is it his God? Has he got some kind of trick? Is he just a, a genius? They wanted to know but they knew it was connected to it. They knew Solomon knew stuff that they didn't. And they wanted to know that stuff. The hunger for knowledge. It's not always a bad thing, folks. It can be perverted and it can be skewed off into wickedness. You know, hidden knowledge, occult knowledge. But folks, and let me just say this. Even Solomon was tempted by that. He ended up going after all that. But in this, in this time of his realm, in the early days, in the glory days, when the glory filled the temple and people couldn't minister. Imagine not being able to preach because there's too much glory in the house. That's a preacher's worst nightmare. <coughs> Amen. you mean to say I've prepared this sermon and I'm not allowed to give it? I, I want folks to see how great this sermon is. And you've just turned up and wasted my sermon all. Wasted my ministry. Thank God. Well, I, I hope God comes and wastes some of my sermons. Amen. Because that presence, when well, you've ever known that presence, nothing touches it. Good preaching isn't even, you know. Well, praise God. So, King Solomon exceeded all the rulers, all the kings. And then it says here, And all the earth sought to hear Solomon. All the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. They're coming for his wisdom. See, the vision that David had, the vision that we carry in our hearts, the reason we talk about multitudes, nations, kings, will come not just here at the Farsis Street, but to your church, or to you personally. Is because of the wisdom. The wisdom is so glorious that it can be seen upon you. They see it in your bearing. They see it in your comportment. They see it in your speech. They see it in everything about you. Said even Solomon's servants, the clothes they wore. The Queen of Sheba fainted because it was like, I've never seen anything less. The half has not yet been told the nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness. It's telling us here because it happened to Solomon. Then it says verse 25 they're all coming to hear the wisdom. Watch this and they brought every man his present or his offering or his donation vessels of silver, vessels of gold garments, armor, spices, horses and mules arrayed year by year. They brought it all. She didn't just come in and go, let's just, let's just try and catch some of this wisdom off of Solomon. Okay, let's, let's see if we can get it for free. Let's see if we can get all that stuff for free. Let's see if Solomon can tell us something will make us rich and we'll go away and we'll use it. No, they brought tribute. Amen. They didn't come and hear the good preaching and the teaching and the wisdom and try to get it for free. They paid tribute because they honoured the source. Because when, dis- when they heard Solomon, maybe some of them came thinking, I'll just hear a few things. And th-. But then they thought, my goodness, the God of this man is far greater than any God I've ever encountered. In fact, there are no other gods. And it's not about getting the donations, the tributes, the vessels of silver and the, the vessels of gold. That wasn't Solomon's motive, that wasn't his heart, that wasn't, he didn't need it. And he probably didn't use it for himself. Probably gave, That's probably where he managed to say to all the people, you know, any poor here? You need some? There you go. I've just been given all these vessels of gold. Use some, sell some, whatever. The Lord bless you, sister. Because Solomon could not be rich. If you go and read Psalm 72, it's it's a psalm of Solomon, psalm for Solomon, and it says repeatedly in that psalm that the king must have a heart for the poor to lift, to, to break oppression over them and lift them out of poverty. See, Solomon, I believe God blessed Solomon because he asked for wisdom to govern his people, and a lot of them were poor. And Solomon's heart was, you know, I'm not rich if I've got poor people in my kingdom, just like in the early church, those rich believers, they said, you know, we're not going to be blessed here. We Peter and all these guys, <laughs> the apostles of the Lamb. We're, we're not going to be blessed here. If there's folks here that they can't feed their, their babies. you can't pay their rent. And here I'm sitting with all these lads. I'm not going to be blessed. If I've got plenty and they've got nothing. That should be the heart of all of us. <coughs> Amen. So, because why? Because we're kings and priests. They brought every man his present and it says Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen and so on. Verse 27. The king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. And cedars made he to be as the sycamore trees that are in the veil for abundance. In other words, everything good. Uh, quality stuff. Okay, Solomon made it to be in abundance. Okay, no more. going to Asda if you can go to House of Fraser. Amen. Solomon says, "Shut down all the Asdas. If this going to if this going to dress, you know, I'm not going to have." You uh, anymore, Bill, wearing Marks and Spencer shirts. Turnbull and Asser for you, my boy. You understand? He, he uh, what's the word? He upgraded everybody's life. The best of gear. The very best. No more ready to assemble. I don't want to mention company names. But it's all bespoke, made to make your furniture. Everything. It was like living in paradise to use that term. Why? Because Solomon was a king and he knew who he was. He knew he was the son of David. He knew that God had called him. God appeared to him twice. He said, oh, that's wonderful, folks. We're Christians. We live in a better covenant. God speaks to us all the time if we'll just still our hearts and listen to him. Amen. But we're supposed to live as kings and priests. Now, let me just say this to to, to kind of close this off because we need to do that now. We got all hung up on how wonderful Solomon was. And I like preaching all this. I love this. I know Bill Johnson preaches a lot about Solomon uh, and uh, and all this. And and just that paradigm. But it's it's a type, folks. It's not we're supposed to be like Solomon. Solomon ended up, the Bible says, he did wicked, he did evil. The very next chapter. Because he went after other gods. He went away after all these women. They pulled his heart away, all that stuff. And the kingdom was reigned. In Solomon's after Solomon's reign, the kingdom was split into Israel and Judah. And, and, and it shaped geopolitics ever since. To this day. But we get oh, oh, there was nobody greater, there was nobody richer, there was nobody wiser. Yes, in the old covenant. That's what that means. Amen. But I want to say to you something. And close really with this. Because this sums it all up. Jesus said, a greater than Solomon is here. Yeah. Speaking of himself. Amen. Solomon, oh, wow, wow. But you know, a greater than Solomon is here. And I want to tell you this today. The greater than Solomon. Solomon is not living inside you today. Solomon's blood did not wash your sins away. Solomon did not remove the curse from you, but a greater than Solomon. He did that, and he's inside you right now. And all this message, all these four wonderful, glorious, great preaching messages are just to say this, let him out. Let him live big in you. Let him be who he is in you, and then the kings will come. Then the nations will come. Then the multitudes will come. Then we'll see the great end time harvest. Then you'll see the sons and daughters come to you that's promised in Isaiah chapter 60. Then we'll see all these and they'll bring their silver and their gold with them. And what will you do? You'll not build yourself an empire with it. You'll say, uh, uh, well, let's use this for the kingdom. And we'll see that great end time Elijah outpouring in the earth. We'll see the glory of God In the earth. Upon his people. And when people out there see it. They're looking today and they're saying. Something over in that church. But when they see the glory. How are they going to see it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know entirely. I know some of it. But I don't know all of it. But I know this. Is that we'll see that vision that David had. And that's in your heart right now. To see the streets black. Outside those doors. Outside of the church. Where you worship. If that church is being faithful and true. And we pray that here for every church. But we'll see it outside churches, shall we say that. We'll see people come. And that's what David said to me that. He says, it wasn't just this church, Dad. It was other churches. The end time revival. The harvest. Amen. Imagine coming come to church one day and there's hundreds, thousands and it, Can I have a wee word with with you, Alan? There's a hundred people here. And they're all in your area. And they need a church to go. You pastor them. You shepherd them. Do you understand? God is calling us to be shepherds. To prepare our hearts as shepherds. Because he's going to send the sheep. The sheep are coming in. And some of them might be government ministers in your flock. Because it doesn't just say the plebs will come. Thank God God doesn't see people as plebs. Amen? But he, but when the kings come, that's when we know. And the nations shall come to your light. Kings will come to the brightness of your rising. Step into that paradigm, folks. Believe God that that's your calling, your destiny. To be positioned to receive these folks when they come because they're coming and you don't want it to pass you by. You want it to be part of it. Some of you have been praying for years for this, don't, when it begins to happen, have it pass you. That's the greatest tragedy. I'll close with this, many closings is that. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest tragedy is that there will be people, and I, I'll, I'll share this with you, sorry, I, I, will, I must share this. I had a dream, and I, I will close with this, I had a dream, just quite recently, and in the dream, and it all took place in the bedroom of my father's house, where I used to have visions of, of the multitudes coming and the end time revival and the times we live in, when I was a teenager, okay, not that long ago obviously, but... Um, and in this, so this all took place, this bedroom. There was a delegation of leaders, Christian leaders, and they came to these two men. Now these are prominent men. If I named them, you would know them. So I'm not going to name them because I don't necessarily believe that the dream was literal about them, but that they symbolize what, what I'm talking about. And these two men, these, the, the, this delegation of leaders was saying to them, you need to release revival. You need to endorse it, authorize it, let it go, let it, let it come. All it takes, you guys just need to say, you have the authority to release revival. And it was very specific. These men, they were to release it from California, eastwards across the United States. And if these two men endorsed these, this delegation of leaders, just by saying to them, yeah, go. The Lord bless you. I'm with you. you know, that's all they had to do. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. They refused point blank to do it. And they were vehement. And there came this tussle, a spiritual tussle, a real intense debate and argument. And one of, them, one of these two prominent leaders fell down as dead on the floor and they couldn't revive him. And so the delegation won, but the two men still held out and they wouldn't release revival. They wouldn't endorse it. They had the authority to release it, but they wouldn't do it. And so I woke up. It was quite disturbing. And and the Lord said, some of the people that have the authority, I've given them authority and they asked to release revival. They've prayed for revival. They've held campaigns of prayer that, you know, they're known, they have a reputation, but they're actually standing in the way of revival. Whatever reason, and they may have multiple reasons, they maybe want it under their banner, their ministry banner, they maybe want to you know, I'll dictate the terms, whatever, but I'm just saying it to say this, don't be one of those when revival and awakening and outpouring comes, that it passes you by, or you're standing there going, No, I don't like that guy, I don't like that preacher. Would you send it through him for, Lord? Hey, I'll just go back to my old church. Don't be somebody who's a blockage to revival, or who revival just goes around you and you're, st- you're still in that old paradigm, you're still in that place of Lord, send revival. And it's happening all around you because that's what's happened in many revivals of the past. And some of the greatest contenders for revival and the greatest promoters of revival and the and the most fervent prayers for revival have been the ones who didn't walk in revival. Just a solemn note to finish on. The Lord bless you folks. Hope that's been, we'll leave it there I think unless the Lord put some in my heart again. But kings will come to the brightness of our rising. Amen. The Lord bless you. Margaret, do you want to close in prayer for us? Thank you. I'm just wondering if I could just read a little bit of the psalm. It's challenged by what we've been speaking about this morning, but I believe that the Bible starts to us. And unless we have an open heart to God and His leading, then